Uh, so I really do count it a privilege to be able to come and preach God's Word. Uh, I will elaborate more on my testimony tonight, give you some background of where I'm coming from, but uh, I thought it would be appropriate to let you know a little bit of where I'm coming from, as I'm completely new, uh, and kind of give a little context uh, that I come from. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were, uh, my dad was a preacher there for, with Faith Free there in Greenville, and he went to Bob Jones uh, in college, and he and my mom, and they had an inner city gospel work, and they went out door to door, and they would go to the worst parts of Greenville, and they would drag them out, and they would have Bible clubs and Sunday morning evangelistic services, 11 o'clock. My parents did that for 20 years, uh, about, about 21 years as I understand it, and uh, they were very active in uh, the work of the ministry. I grew up going to uh, the Greenville Free Church there. Uh, and so I've, a lot of the names are all very familiar to me. I listen to sermon audio a great deal. So I listen to a lot of the Northern Irish preachers. And then Karen's, of course, I will listen very regularly. So I've been familiarized with uh, a lot of the Free Church uh, positions and uh, beliefs and it is so good to be able to fly 2,000 miles from Greenville, South Carolina, and to be in someone's home and with a body of believers who share a like precious faith, and to be able to unite someone I've never met before over the truth of God's Word. It is uh, encouraging, <laughs> to say the least, and I really do appreciate you all having uh, me in. And uh, I want you all, it, I will be turned to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. And if you all would like to join me, I know coming from this church with Pastor Mook, uh, you probably can turn there in your heart and you know it already. This great portion of the Word of God. Second Timothy 3 verses 15, I'm sorry, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So often I've found that the very familiar passages of Scripture, you go to John 3.16, you go through this, these very familiar passages of Scripture, it's so easy to just say, oh, I know that truth, and then just kind of roll on. This is the truth of God's Word. And let's, I want to encourage you to, to ask, to beg the Lord, Lord, I need thy Holy Spirit to keep this truth at the forefront of my mind through the service this morning, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that's kind of the context. I want you to keep thinking through, think, that, think of this sermon in light of that text of Scripture. There's a longing in the Old Testament, right as we open it, open the Word of God for Christ. Right at Genesis 3. There's a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. 
and that yearning for the Savior, for the Messiah, you can see it. Reading down through the Scriptures, you can see it either in types or in explicit statements that there would be a righteous servant that would come and satisfy God. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 17, For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. He said that in the Old Testament there were many righteous men and prophets that were looking ahead. They wanted to see the things that you apostles are seeing, and they, weren't able, they, they didn't see them. There was that yearning to see the works of Christ. In Luke 2.25, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. He was waiting for that comfort, for the consolation of Israel. And you find this attitude in Philip when he came and found Nathanael. He said, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. So you see this in the believers, those people that were looking ahead in the Old Testament for Christ. Christ himself posed the question, Whom do men say that I am? The answer came that some say he is John the Baptist, or maybe another prophet. And, and speaking of John the Baptist, after he sent messengers to the Lord Jesus to inquire and make sure that Jesus was truly the Christ, uh, he in prison he said, Art thou he, or, or do we look for another? He wanted to make sure this is the one that the Old Testament was talking about. In that dreadful storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples, they, they had a question that arose in their minds as well. They said, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? What type of a person can do this? When Christ entered into the gates of Jerusalem on what's come to be known as Palm Sunday, the people of Jerusalem met him and they said, who is this? So this question starts arising. Who is this Christ? Who is he? And I want us to, I want to call attention to the fact that the Old Testament had the answers to those New Testament questions. First with John. There are few men in scriptures who are given higher accolades (laughs) that the Lord spoke very highly of John. He was a bold preacher who was not afraid to preach the truth. He loved the Lord. He was a humble man. He was, you know, when when seeing the Lord Jesus approaching and understanding who he was, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. So he he was a very humble man. He knew the Word of God. He was believing the Word of God. He was sent by God to make straight the paths before the Messiah came. His multitudes came out and they were baptized by him. And even the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, as you all know, was baptized by John. But the enemies of truth and righteousness opposed this mighty man of God. The Scriptures record, Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John had said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. And as John lived a godly life, opposing sin and standing for righteousness, he suffered persecution. And in the end, we all know John was put to death. 
And during that time in prison, the Bible tells us that he sent messengers, sent some disciples, to Jesus Christ. And they said, Art thou he, or look we for another? There was a question that arose. I remember several years ago, I was 15, I'll explain more of this tonight, but I was 15 and I remember I was just so distraught over, I was confused, is, is this the word of God, you know, is Jesus really the Christ? A very similar question came to my mind. And I remember my drywall boss, who's a believer, he's a deacon at the local church there, and he very bluntly just looked at me and he said, I was like, I don't know, you know do I believe God's word, what do I do? And he, he just looked at me and said, well, whoop-de-doo. You know, John the Baptist, he, he, had, he, he questioned as well. He doubted. You don't think yourself any more special than him. And I remember it just kind of shocked me. I was like, well, you're not supposed to. I didn't know you could say that. <laughs> but John the Baptist had this question arise in his mind. And the messengers came, and they came to Jesus and said, you know, art thou here? Do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the, li- the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. This was the Lord's response to one of his children who was questioned, Is this really the Christ? And rather than mocking John for his seeming lapse in faith, the author of his faith reaffirmed to John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. John the Baptist surely knew the prophecy of the Old Testament scripture, which Christ was drawing attention to in his personal fulfillment of that scripture. The Old Testament reads, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Get this, folks. The I love this. Your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come. He, your God, will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. Christ did fulfill all of those prophecies right there mentioned in Isaiah the time of John's doubts. The prophecies there show that God himself would come to save the people, his people. And his coming would be accompanied by those miracles. Thus, when Christ reminded John of the miracles which he had performed, he was reminding John that he was God incarnate. John questioned, art thou he? Christ answered, in essence, the, you know, he, he pointed back to the scriptures which he had fulfilled. If the Old Testament scriptures be true, and they are, and these works which he had done were true, and they were, there is no alternative but that he is the one that they should be looking for. Christ drew John's mind to the Holy Scriptures and their prophecies concerning him. And then he reminded John that he had carried out those prophecies. John had a question, and the Old Testament had the answer. He, that John was wondering about, was none other than God, come in the flesh according to the Old Testament. You had mentioned Palm Sunday, and as you read through that passage, you can feel the excitement on that page. You, know, you read through, and it's just like, wow, you, know, you can see the people running. You can almost internally hear them 
calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You can see that colt winding its way up the path. This is a great and a triumphal, a triumphant entry. You have the children running and the women and men gathering. And as they entered that city, the Bible tells us all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Matthew 21, verse 10. And the immediate answer which came from the multitude was, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. But had the inhabitants of Jerusalem been as those noble Bereans who searched the Scriptures, they would have known exactly who it was that was coming in the gates that day. For Zechariah 9, 9 tells us, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. The Old Testament is a book full of promises. It promises that this Messiah would come, that there would be a king that would come. And as you read through the scriptures, you can start to assemble a profile of, you know, well, the Messiah, he has to fit all these criteria to be the Messiah. And so here in Zechariah 9.9, there's three, uh, three uh, criteria that the king must meet. He must be just. He must be lowly. And he must be the king. And you start reading through the scriptures, you quickly go through the history of the kings, and you realize, well, okay, we got some kings here. But were any of them righteous, just? You have King David, he was great. But even under his own confession, he had to have, his, he had to have imputed righteousness. He was not independently righteousness or righteous. And so you go to the most, arguably the most righteous of kings, and he still falls far short of the glory of God. It wasn't this, this king coming into the city was to be righteous, and he was supposed to be humble as well. You, know, you, you read through, and that this seems to be the, the bane of so many kings in the Old Testament. They start being lifted up in pride. You have Saul. You have Nebuchadnezzar. You start reading over and over again in the Scripture, these men that they, they think higher of themselves than they ought. And the Bible says that the Lord resists the proud. But the only one that would fulfill all of these pieces was Christ Jesus. He was just, he was lowly, and he was monarch. Christ Jesus, the King. Jeremiah twenty three twenty five speaks of that as well. He says, Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up unto, thee, unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. But also that passage says he will bring with him salvation. Could any of those kings of the Old Testament bring with them salvation? Purchase salvation? They all needed salvation themselves. Even Moses, the mighty lawgiver, not a king, he could only point ahead to another. He said, after me there's going to be one that's going to rise up. Hearken unto him. So this one bringing justice, righteousness, humility, and salvation, only Christ could fulfill that. And the Old Testament declares that that is the one who has entered into this, into this city. For there were none humbler than Christ. There were none 
more righteous than Christ. And none could bring salvation, for he purchased it with his own blood. Moving on to that storm in uh, Galilee. That question, who is this, or form of it, was raised. It's given in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. The question by those disciples, in light of that most extraordinary event, the Bible says in Mark, uh, Mark 4, verse 35 through 41. It's a rather a little longer passage. If you'd like to turn there, you can, but I'll read. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, and so that it was now full, and he was in the hindered part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him, and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and said unto the wind, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? What type of a man can calm the storm. He didn't merely say, oh, you know, hunker down, and you know, this, this is how you can keep the boat afloat. He actually calmed. He said, stop, peace, be still. In January of 2019, I was in Guam, and I've always been a fairly strong swimmer, so some of these passages that haven't made much sense to me, because I've never been in the open ocean or on a, on a lake during a storm, and just thought, well, just swim to shore, you know, how hard can it be? But I remember I was out in a lagoon, about two miles, uh, about two square miles in an area, and behind the mountain there came, honestly it wasn't very much, it was just a little uh, pop-up shower, and I was about 200 yards from shore in a lagoon, so fairly safe, it's not like I'm going anywhere, and that storm came up quickly, and I, I for the first time I'd ever, I ever understood the fear that could be in the situation. It was just a tiny little pop-up shower. But this talks about how there was a great and a mighty vehement wind that came in. And these seasoned sailors were at their wit's end. They were terrified. They were in distress. And they called on the Lord. And he rebuked the sea. And they said, well, what, what manner of man? Who can do this? Well, the Scriptures has an answer for that. In the Old Testament Psalm 107, Psalm 107, verses 20 through 30. What type of man can do this? Who has power over the wind and the waves? Psalm 107, verses 20 through 30. Scripture says, He sent His word and healed them. I love that. This is just a side note. That has been one of the most helpful passages in Scripture. He sent his word and healed them. There is a balm in Gilead. And delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, there's a parallel there. The disciples, they went down to the sea in ships. They do business in great waters. They, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble, just like the disciples' souls were. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Very similar. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, just as they did. And he bringeth them out of their distresses, just as he did. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. There is no question, Psalm 107 is speaking, exclu- it is speaking exclusively of Jehovah God, the God of the Old Testament. So when the disciples posed the question, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him, the answer from the Old Testament is, it is Jehovah. This is the manner of man that calms the seas. So how are we as believers to deal with this information? It's neat. You know, it's, oh, that's interesting. You know, okay, well, yeah, the Bible told about him, and you know, 800 years later or 1,000 years later, the Lord fulfilled it. Interesting. But how do we apply this? Where is the application so that the rubber meets the road? There's, we, we, we are not just forgetful hearers of the word, but we are doers. Yes, the New Testament saints had questions about Christ. And yes, the Old Testament answers had, the, had answers to those questions. But what are we to do with them? Believers, you and I, every day we are faced with questions concerning our faith and our practice. The things that we believe and the things that we do. There's questions. Is this right? Is this wrong? There are questions that arise to come up. It may be something very simple. It may not be, you know, you know, do you believe in the divinity of Christ? It may be. It may be something more like, well, what type of music am I going to listen to today? What type of practice am I going to engage in today? Well, just as the answers for those men and women in the New Testament could be found in the Old Testament... The answers for our beliefs and our practices are to be found in the Scriptures. For they are what is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. We are to go to the Scriptures. And search the scriptures. There are hard questions that arise. Very difficult questions. Questions that stump us just as there were questions that stumped the people of Christ today. And now we look back at them and we're like, well, of course. You know, that's, of course that's what the, what the answer is. And a hundred years from now, probably people look back at us and say, well, of course that was what the answer was. But the answer, I don't want to sound trite at all. But the answer is in God's word. We need to be diligent searching the Word of God, for they are the rule of all things we believe and all things we do.
Let's go to the Lord and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, which is able to make us wise unto salvation, which converts the soul, which is a light unto our path, and a lamp unto our feet. And Lord, we pray that we might be like that young man who would cleanse his ways by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Take heed to listen to, submit to thy word, which is clear. We believe thy word is clear. Our minds are dark. Our minds need illumination. Lord, we know that Every good gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, from Thee. Lord, we ask for these good gifts. We pray these things in Thy Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.